You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Now you need your Bible, something to write with, something to write on. Uh, That is the best way to engage the message. Uh, We're going to be in a a little book, a really little book. It's the shortest book of all the books, 2 John, which is just, if you find the beginning of of Revelation and flip over probably just one page, you'll find the, the book of 2 John. It's just half a page long. Sometimes it shares its page with Jude or, or sorry, Third John. Here's, here's John's message in that little book. And if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes, this is it. Walk in truth, walk in love. Walk in truth, walk in love. That's the message of Second John. Um, walk in truth, walk in love. And either one of those would be easier, anyway, if we didn't have to do them both at the same time, sort of like walking and chewing gum. But, but learning how to walk in truth and love, to speak the truth in love, that's hard. Love is hard. Let me get an amen. Love is hard. When we talk about walking in truth and love, we're talking about the kind of kingdom character that, uh, that makes spiritual giants. And I'm not one of those. So I'm, I need your prayers. I'm, gonna get this, I'm not going to get this message exactly right. It's, it's dense and it's theological. And I, I, I want it to be not that, but this one you just can't avoid it. So blame it on John, not me. Um, but we need to pray one more time before we open the word together because I'm very aware of how far I am from the perfect love of God that John inspires us towards. So will you bow your heads one more time? Lord Jesus, I'm just so aware of my own inadequacies when I stand and, 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 and stare in the face of the beloved disciple and his words and what he knows, the revelation he received about Jesus from his own personal encounters about Jesus and from his lifetime of walking with Jesus. I'm so, and, and after Jesus, uh, after Jesus was ascended into heaven, I'm just so aware that, that I, don't, I don't know what he knew. He knew. I don't know. And I can't get it right all the time. I can't answer all the questions. I'm so aware of that and humbled by that fact. So what I do pray, Lord, is that you give me eyes to see you um, as we open this word together, ears to hear you, and a heart to receive everything you have for us, everything you have for us today. And Lord, I pray that as we open this word together, we would open this word inside the heart of the Father so that we hear all of it, these these dense theological concepts that they are washed with the love of the Father. God, if you would do that, we would be so grateful. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time as an act of worship. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at that second letter from John. It's, It's... Probably just a page or two from Revelation, like I said, it's less than a page long, but it, it, it's, it serves really as a preface to 1 John, and there's a big chunk of 1 John we're going to be pulling from because there's, you know, what, John's, what he says in the second letter of John, it's like he takes paragraphs to say it in the first letter. 
So I'm gonna read the whole of 2 John, and while I read, here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice or circle every use of the word truth and every use of the word love. He begins this way, and I'll circle them, okay? He says, to the elder, uh, sorry, sorry, the elder, that's him, the elder, to the lady chosen by God, and we'll come back and talk about the lady in a minute, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. That would be the first one you circle or underline. And not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Underline that because that's basically his whole point. Truth and, you can't separate truth from love or love from truth. In truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just, are you starting to get it, right? <laughs> He's got a point to make here. Just as the Father has commanded us. And now, dear lady... I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And then I want you to underline all of verse 6, because all of verse 6 is really the whole point. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. And I wanted to stop there and say this is a powerful little, um, little message to read on the Sunday after Ascension Day. Because here's the thing, what he's, he's, he's worried about people who, who sort of watered down the physical nature of Jesus Christ. <laughs> in order to make sense or, or make it easier for them to understand his death and what people were calling resurrection. He was never real in the first place, they said, so he probably wasn't real when you saw him afterwards. It's just good feels. That's what we call Gnosticism, and that's bad theology. Actually, what's happened is Jesus was in the flesh on earth. He was crucified, dead, buried, resurrected in the glorified flesh, but very real flesh. He ate, remember, he ate with his disciples. And when he ascended into heaven, he ascended into heaven in that glorified bodily form. And that is huge for us. I could go off here, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do that another day. Um, but that's, that's why this matters to him. It's, it's like, you're, if like, if you're not talking about Jesus as real and in his resurrected form, as ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father in his resurrected form, you're like the Antichrist. That's what Paul, I mean, John says. And then he says, verse 8, I, lo I love verse 8 too. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. That's a word for the church right now. Don't let this pandemic let you lose what you've worked so hard for. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Obviously, John has an opinion about this. About the physical, about the relationship between the physical and the spiritual. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. That's a good one for today, too. Uh, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. So, 
Um, I don't want to spend time on what t feels to me like details because I don't want to take away time from the big message, but we, there is this curious little thing in 2 John. He, he addresses this to the lady, um, the, the lady chosen by God. Who is she? Well, some scholars say she's an actual real lady. She had children. She must have written John a letter with some questions, and he wrote her back. Um, maybe that's true. Other scholars say that the lady is code for the church. In the first century, John was already experiencing a lot of persecution, and so was the church. And so he just realized sometimes you don't need to say everything out loud that, that, that needs to be said. And as a theory, I think that's my preference. This is the word to the church. Either way, whether it's a, one lady or, or a whole group of people, this is still the word to the church today. The bride of Christ and his word to the bride is about truth and love. And verse 6 is the key. John says, I, you underlined this, this is love. That we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And then he unpacks that verse in 1 John. No other writer uses the word love as much as John. I mean, he's... Big on love, 57 times in the Gospel of John, which is more times, the more uses of that word than the other three Gospels combined. 44 times in 1 John. So I think John has a point, and his point is, you guys are so good. John was completely taken by Jesus' command to love. John wants us to know this is the essence of God. He writes, 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Remember that love flows down from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is... Y'all are getting it. John was infected. By the love of Jesus. And he gets it that biblical love is defined by, rooted in, obedience to God's commands. So to love is to obey. And John comes back to that refrain over and over and over. I'll quote just a few of them. If anyone obeys God's word, love for God is truly made complete for the, in them. We know we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Dear children, let us not only love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. This is John talking. This is love for God, to keep his commands. For John, there is no doubt that love for God is authenticated by, proven by, obedience to his commands, obedience to his word. Now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. So what does it look like to walk in truth, to walk in obedience? I believe it begins with the lordship of Jesus. We've been saying for years that it is the exclusive nature of Jesus that divides the body of Christ theologically long before we ever discuss cultural issues. To walk in truth is to know Jesus not just as Savior, but as Lord. Do you get the difference? 
between Savior and Lord. Savior is what happens when you cross that justification threshold from not believing to believing. So when we cross across the threshold into the house of God, we become justified. That's what it takes to make Jesus your Savior. But for Jesus to be your Lord, he now has to cross the threshold of your heart and begin to work through all the rooms of your heart, taking every area of your life and purifying it by his truth and love. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. So to walk in truth is to know Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Jesus is not a metaphor for all the good in the world. We believe Jesus is truth. Jesus, write that down. Jesus is truth. Fully God and fully man. He was and is flesh and blood. Sinless himself, he is on the side of the sinner. He has compassion for the one who is oppressed. He has a preference for the poor. He lived a thoroughly compassionate life, pure love. But listen, those of us who are committed to truth, who believe that Jesus alone embodies that truth, must also believe deep in our spirits that the people we like and the people we have feelings for and the people for whom we have great compassion and the people we want to see living holy lives and the people we want to see in heaven with us are not the authors of our faith. We are all, all of us, navigating all kinds of relationships and stories and we want God's best for the people we loved uh, love but the gospel is not built on a foundation of who we know who we love and who we want included the author of our faith is Jesus Christ in other words we have a person-centered faith not a people-centered faith and our conversations and, and our choices must reflect this kingdom-down perspective while resisting the urge to write our gospel based on who we want to be included. So a dear friend of mine, a colleague, posted this cartoon. And I'm just, spoiler alert, I'm not in favor, okay? Because somebody at the early service was like, amen! It's like, you might want to hold your amen for a minute posted this cartoon online not long ago. It's Jesus, and he's talking to a group of religious leaders. And he says, the difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means, and I use love to determine what scripture means. Now I have to admit, that's pretty slick, right? It sounds good. What could sound more anti-bad religion and pro-Jesus than the idea of letting our love be a filter for understanding what the Bible says? That sounds catchy. So it's a shame that it's such bad theology. <laughs> and it is. In fact, this cartoon is the mirror opposite of what John wants us to learn about biblical love. John who was known as the disciple Jesus loves, the beloved disciple, the resident expert in the New Testament on what it means to love like Jesus. John would tell the creator of this cartoon that you cannot know love apart from divine revelation. You should write that down. You cannot know love apart from divine revelation. 
which means that we cannot project our feelings or preferences onto God and his word and expect them to stick. True love flows down. It begins with God and is expressed through Jesus. And Jesus teaches us what love is. John, 1 John 1.16 says it just this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. That's love. It begins with Jesus. So in some ways, okay, maybe. But Jesus and the Bible never disagree. That's the point here. I want to shake the creator of that cartoon. Jesus and the Bible never disagree. The difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means and I use love to determine what scripture means. That's crazy talk, friends. You don't want me or anyone else deciding what love is. You especially don't want me deciding what love is at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning <laughs> when I don't want to be here. <laughs> you don't want me deciding what love is. Can you imagine the chaos if love was independently defined by each of us according to our own preferences? What if my idea of love includes harming someone else? What if my idea of love and your idea of love completely disagree? And of course that happens. Ask any Hindu what it's like to serve multiple gods, many of whom have, have diametrically opposed understandings of how Hindus are supposed to live. We try to apply those random definitions to the Bible and now the Bible sounds like it disagrees with itself and before we know it, we are dividing the Bible into buckets. It's things we think are true and things we think were never true. That is chaos. It's relativism. And no one is safe in that world. John tells us, 1 John 4, 7, love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we projected ourselves and our love onto God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Come on, people. That feels solid beneath my feet. I love verse 16. We know and rely on the love of God. <laughs> Solid, dependable. In fact, God is love, John tells us. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus and we love because he first loved us. Steve Siemens has written a great book on the ascension of Jesus. It's called The Unseen Real. I think our men's group, did y'all study, y'all look, the men's group did that book. It's a great book. You should read it if you want to get all excited about the ascension of Jesus. Not to say that you're not already excited about the ascension of Jesus, but just you know, start yourself up. There's a quote in there from G.K. Chesterton, and I want to read this quote. This quote is 100 years old, which makes it all the more profound to me because it's still so relevant. Chesterton writes, When the wind is blowing and the branches of the trees are waving, there are two kinds of people in the world. 
One group believes the wind moves the branches. The other group believes that the motion of the trees creates the wind. For most of human history, and in most parts of the world today, people adhere to the former view. The consensus has been that the invisible lies behind and is the source of the visible. Only recently, and, in particularly, and particularly in the West, has the latter view emerged, that the motion of the trees creates the wind. Unfortunately, Chesterton says, this recent view has had a profound and pervasive influence on Western culture. It has also profoundly influenced and shaped Western Christianity, turning most of us into practical, functional deists. And that's three big words, but when you string them together, it basically means people who believe in a generic form of God who is not intimately related to me. Friends, the decision to wrap ourselves around an American cultural ethic will exclude us from the timeless and world-altering gospel of Jesus Christ. A decision to wrap ourselves around an American cultural ethic will exclude us from the timeless and world-altering gospel of Jesus. So the question we all have to wrestle with is this. What leads? And just in case you thought this message was about those other people and not you, this is where it hits home for every single one of us. You have to ask yourself that question. What leads? Does Jesus lead? Do, do I expect that the love that's displayed in my life comes from God, flows from God? Or do I let my feelings lead? That's the most important thing, not to the exclusion of everything else, but as the influencer, the headwaters over all the strangeness that is our world because Jesus and the scriptures, which remember, never disagree, will consistently call us to self-giving, take up your cross, and holiness, be holy because I am holy. The question is, what leads to follow Jesus means laying down our fallen preferences in favor of his call to a holy life. And a holy life, in scriptural, uh, by the scriptural definition, is the good life. It's the life for which you were designed. To follow Jesus means laying down our, follow, our fallen preferences in favor of his call to a holy life. And listen, our sanctifying work always draws us toward Christ, always draws us toward holiness, always draws us toward our created design. What leads? What leads? That's the sanctifying question. In the broader sense, is Christianity primarily about loving people or is it a call to holiness through an encounter with the one true God, pure love himself? That's the broader sense, but in your life, in your life, what leads? What idols are looming, tempting you, confusing you, keeping you from being able to joyfully walk in truth and love? 
here's why we can deal so boldly in truth. Because just as love rejoices in the truth, that's straight out of Paul's uh, poem on love in 1 Corinthians 13, just as love rejoices in the truth, the truth rejoices in love. So first, Christ rejoices when we come to him, and then Christ rejoices when we become like him. Love rejoices in truth, and truth rejoices in love. So to walk in truth is to walk in love. So let's talk about walking in love. John said, John, this is the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 14. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you hear it? The Father loves me, and then I love you. So remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. You're not wearing a mask today. I expect everybody to be smiling right now because I just used the word joy twice. I haven't seen you smiling so long. I've missed you. My command is this, Jesus says, love each other as I love you. And in 1 John 4, 19, John says it this way, we love because he first loved us. We, we, we love because he first loved us. Remember, he said, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And this is where it hits home and teaches us how to relate to each other. Truth places Jesus at the center, which then sets us free to let the people in our lives find their place around that center. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus, the truth sets Jesus right at the center, but it allows us then to let people in our lives find their own place around that center. We've talked about this before, the concept of centered sets and bounded sets. The idea comes from the mission field and it describes how we think about people in relation to Jesus and his truth. Bounded sets say that there's the, here's the line and if you don't know Jesus, you're out. If you do know Jesus, you're in. And, and uh, so you're either in or out. But centered sets set the truth in the middle. Define it clearly. You don't get to change the definition of it. You define it clearly, you set it in the middle, and then you let people uh, find themselves around their, those values, and you invite them to orient themselves toward those values. Does that make sense? Centered set thinking reminds me that the responsibility for a person's posture toward truth is theirs, not mine. I don't have to control anybody. You should write that down. Probably should say it to somebody right now. Just turn to somebody and say, I don't have to control you. I don't have to control you. <laughs> Parents aren't even excluded, Joy. <laughs> My job as a follower of Jesus, whether I am a pastor, a lay person, uh, um, a, 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 a parent, a spouse, 
a friend. My job as a follower of Jesus is to orient my life toward the center, to Jesus and his truth, and then pursue intimacy as I draw closer and closer to that center. And it is the same for you. Your job is to find your place in relation to the center and then begin your journey. And the hope is that as I find my place, orient toward the center, toward Jesus, my walk, my sanctifying walk toward that center will be so winsome that you got no choice but to orient yourself toward the center as well. That's sanctification. And friends, that's love. That's how we love each other. Not by moving the center so somebody else can feel better, but by giving space, grace, and community for folks to make the journey toward the center, which is Christ and his living word. So last week we ended in this place where we were in the heart of God. Do you remember? You were here. We said the banner over all these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the banner over all these letters is the heart of God. So we've talked about walking in truth and walking in love. Now let's talk about walking into the heart of God. There's a wonderfully odd book in the Old Testament called the, some, some, books, uh, some Bibles call it the Song of Songs, other Bibles call it the Song of Solomon. If you've never come across this book before, you will be amazed to find it's in there. <laughs> it's eight chapters of passionate pursuit between a man and a woman. And it's not just, do you like me, check one, yes or no. It's not that. <laughs> it's just two people who are head over heels in love with each other who can't wait to get into each other's arms. It is a beautiful story. And it is beautiful to me that it is in our Bible. The love in the story is lavish. The woman says, I am a rose picked from the plains of Sharon, a lotus blossom from the valley pools. And her lover replies, yes, you are a flower among thorns. You guys should use that, people. That's big stuff. That's good stuff right there. That's not Hallmark, okay? That's better. And it goes on and on like this for verse after verse. And I see you now trying to find it in your Bible. Like, what? It doesn't seem like it ought to be there at first glance until we remember that this is what we're made for. Not, not, I'm not talking about that romantic love. I'm talking about the, the passion that it represents. The kind of vulnerable, open-hearted love that it represents. And I want you to, you know, we're made by a loving God. God is love. So to love passionately all in all our relationships, to love him and love each other, that's the call. So the song is this beautiful picture of what good love can be when people trust each other completely with their passions. It's about vulnerability, keeping a soft heart. But this Song of Solomon's not just, like I said, it's not just about romantic love. Actually, in the Song of Solomon, they, there's three different words for love used in the Hebrew. The first is ra uh, raya, R-A-Y-A, raya. That Love is friendship, love. It's, it's, it's the Hebrew word used to describe friendship. It's, it's love for somebody you hang out with. It's, it's, it's community. That's in there. And then there's another word, ahava, A-H-A-V-A, A-H-A-V-A, ahava, love. This, that's the word for love that means to give, 
but it also means to love. So it is this self-giving love. It's such a cool word. It teaches us something about the giving nature of, of the Father. It's, it's the love of the will, the kind of emotion that leads to commitment. It's when you, it's when you give when you don't feel like it. Ahavaj, Jesus, telling us greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Ahavale, love stays alive not by feeling, it's fed by the knowing. Ahavale, love is, is fed by truth. The third word is dod, D-O-D, which is the physical love of a married couple when two become one. But like I said, you've really got to hear that word in the context of Scripture. is, is something broader than that. It's really about passion. It's about open-heartedness. It's about vulnerability. It's about trust. So raya, friendship love. Ahava, giving love. And dod, physical love, vulnerable love. That's the biblical picture, first of all, of a covenant marriage. All three loves working together, but all three loves are in the heart of God. They're all in the heart of God. They all emanate from the heart of God. And these three words help us to untangle the confusion that culture overlays onto love. We figure all love just is, but actually no, there's lots of kinds of love and even even our own altar expresses this so beautifully doesn't it there's raya love that's the that's the baptismal font that 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 invites someone into community that invites someone into friendship with our community and then there's the cup and the and the bread the self-giving ahava love that says i will lay down my life for you and in, and i invite you to do the same and then there is the word of god right there in the middle this this the heart of god the living word open vulnerable, full, passionate. Surely this is what John is so, why John is so mesmerized by the love of God. Why he's determined to love and teach what it means to walk in truth and, and walk in love. He's convinced this is the treasure. This is the center. That's the center right there. First John 4 16 to 18 says, we, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. We bear love to the world. And then he says this, there's no fear in love. You don't find fear in Ahava. You don't find fear in Raya. You don't find fear in Dod. There's no fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Every human being longs for this kind of love. I am going to tell you, 
whether you are happy or unhappy, fulfilled or unfulfilled, married or single, friends crawling all over you or feeling sort of lonely these days. It doesn't matter. Every single one of us, every single one of us lives with that incomplete longing for the fulfilled, complete kingdom love of God. We stretch for it. We long for it. This is love, John says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, self as an atoning, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's the ahava of God, the giving love that keeps the fire stokes that longs to warm our hearts. It's the raya of God, the eternal friendship that promises never to give up on us. This is the dote of God, the passionate expression of love that joins our hearts to the Father's heart. And in the Song of Solomon, the invitation is this. Set me as a seal upon your heart. I want to ask you to stand if you would. Set me as a seal upon your heart which is to say Jesus I'm ready for you to lead I want you to lead I am really aware right now that my brand of love it, it, that and a dollar will get me nothing it won't even get me a cup of coffee my brand of love is cheap and it's shaky and it's situational and it's full of conditions. Lord, I'm ready for you to lead. I'm ready for you to, dis to, to, to displace the idols that have found their way into my heart, and I am ready for you to lead. I am asking you, God, be a seal upon my heart. And to you, Jesus would say this. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and, and hear this, hear this. To you, Jesus would say, let me lead. Let me lead. Let me love you. Let me into your heart. Let go of your fears and your defenses and know yourself as the object of my pursuit, the center of my heart. And set me as a seal upon your heart. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.